Welcome to Keystone Education Radio, the podcast for all things focused on education in Pennsylvania. Now here's your host, Annette Stevenson. Today's episode was recorded at the 2019 PASA PSBA School Leadership Conference. We were fortunate to catch up with opening keynote speakers Corey Mitchell and Robin Gray to talk about the documentary Purple Dreams and the importance of education in the arts. Corey Mitchell is a director, performer, and educator at the Northwest School of Arts in Charlotte, North Carolina. Corey and his students were the subjects of the 2017 feature-length documentary Purple Dreams, which follows their journey to the main stage of the International Thespian Festival. He has taught with the Northwest School of Arts since 2001. He currently teaches acting and leads the Dynamic Musical Theater Program. Corey was the recipient of the 2015 Inaugural Excellence in Theater Education Tony Awards and was one of the top 50 finalists for the 2017 Global Teacher Prize. Robin Gray is a New York entertainment attorney and Chief Executive Officer of Arts and Power, a nonprofit organization advocating for arts education. The film was originally intended to be shot in four weeks, but became an inspiring and gripping four-year project. The film was presented at the Full Frame Documentary Film Festival and the River Run International Film Festival. Welcome to both of you. Thank you for having us. Yes, thank, thank you, you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Presentation was phenomenal this morning, so appreciate your time on the podcast as well. So, Corey, arts education can help students develop skills in collaboration, creativity, and confidence, but students don't always have access to these programs, and maybe particularly in some of the underserved school districts. Purple Dreams made strides in showing what impact these programs can have on students. How do you think awareness can be raised around the importance of arts education? I think it's funny that so much of our lives is based around entertainment and the arts. Mm. Uh, there are billion dollar, multi-billion dollar industries that are built around that very uh, prospect in movies, television, Broadway, concerts, music halls, all over the place. Mm -hmm. But it's funny to that we don't take a moment to think about how those artists get to that place. And art can be presented and created in just about every level from the billion dollar movies like the Marvel movies mm -hmm. and the superhero oh, things yeah. to like the tiny little things, uh, little movies that my students film using their GoPros and things. Mm -hmm. So the way that we address and raise the importance of it is to tell people to look around. And every day I get stories from celebrities, that I get an opportunity to meet, as well as students and parents who talk about the impact that being in choir in middle school had on their lives, or uh, being in a play or being in a musical. So I don't know that we have to raise awareness because we all know the part that seems to be important is to raise the importance of it, to change the dynamic because it's unfortunate that the arts aren't measurable by a standardized test. Mm -hmm. And That's but true. 
it's just one of those things that is still important to almost everyone's experience when they were in grade school, middle school, and high school. Sure. So, Robin, how did you connect to Corey or find Corey and his school as, as the subject of a film? How did you connect? Well, our film production company was just a few miles away from the school. Okay. And we had done several things over the years with Northwest, going in there and filming and having their students come and, and be in our films and teach them about filmmaking. But in this particular case, Corey had met my business partner and the director of Purple Dreams, Joanne Hawk, several years back because they did a project together. Okay. She filmed something for him that was a little outside the box for <laughs> what you'd done before. And he first went to Joanne to ask, mm -hmm. and then we all had a meeting. Um, Joanne's the creative end, and I was the business end. Mm -hmm. So we figured out, could we do this? Okay. We initially thought that oh, it would be a short project, so we'll, be, we'll be in and out, and by three months, we would complete it. And we liked doing pro bono films, so we started from there. But because of how great what Corey was doing was for us to see, we just became very passionate about using the arts education message to move arts education okay. forward. Mm -hmm. We saw that there was a really clear story about the transformational power of an arts education. And I hadn't seen anything like that before. I'd seen other documentaries that had different types of themes, but this was a very clear one to me that over time, we could see these children actually change. And if we're showing it over a three-year span, the audience will actually see that. Because mm -hmm. you see the kids when they're young, you see them as they're growing, and they grow a lot during that time. That was really interesting when we watched your film, just to see that evolution and yeah. to hear their stories post-graduation as well. You gave kind of the updates. What an interesting path to see. So how has the film been received by audiences? It's been amazing. Mm. <laughs> the 2017-18 Film Festival circuit was amazing for us. We won 23 awards and honors. Oh, wow. We got a lot of bests of fests audience awards yeah. and social justice award. I mean, people really loved what they were seeing. And so much of it was because it was very serious, but it was very uplifting. Mm -hmm. And we That's made true. it so that you'd be entertained while you're watching. There's not a frame. We tried to do this. There wasn't a frame that we didn't contemplate what they would see within that frame. Mm -hmm. So things are always going on because in Corey's world, there is yes. nonstop things non going on. <laughs> lots and of movement and lots yes. of action yes. and conversation. And I think that a part of that as well is that whether young or old, there are audience members who can place themselves into that story or into a situation that is similar to it of having a teacher who cares that much 
or being a part of a project for which um, it takes on new meaning and new purpose with it, or also identifying students, uh, a lot of teachers who see their students in that story. So I think that helps with the mm -hmm. universality of it. Yeah, mm -hmm. I agree mm -hmm. with you. I wanted to go back to the first question you asked Corey, mm -hmm. because we have a little differing opinion on this. <laughs> okay, <laughs> good. I think that we need to make people aware uh -huh. of the great things that they can perceive and see in children as they progress in their arts education. Mm -hmm. And I started Arts and Powers for that very reason. I wanted to use Purple Dreams as a catalyst for people to just start discussions about okay. arts education. Because I don't think that there's enough people talking about the things that arts education does for a child. And it's critically important that they do. A lot of parents even think, of course their children have arts in their school. And then in, in reality, they don't. They're just assuming it's there. Mm -hmm. So parents have to ask about it but we should make people aware if it's there and if not, what they can do about it. And voting is a great way <laughs> to advance arts education and we just have to keep letting people know what the value is. Just in arts itself, not because it helps our STEM subjects, because mm -hmm. there's so much that arts do just on their own. Did I hear you say that Arts and Power came before the film or after the film? After. Okay, after. that's what I thought you yeah. said. Okay. It was like a circle for me because I started out of college working for legal aid. Okay. I wanted to be a criminal attorney. I became an entertainment attorney instead. <laughs> but I have always helped underprivileged kids in some way. Mm -hmm. I've worked as a guardian ad litem advocating for foster care children in court. The various boards that I chaired were all about helping the underprivileged. Mm -hmm. And this film gave me a chance to get back in there and tell a story that I thought needed to be told. Okay. So Arts and Powers was just the outcome for me of this story. Okay, neat, interesting. So, Corey, how do you think educators and parents can expose their students to arts education? And you've touched on that already to some degree, Robin. But how can they tap into that? How can they look for the right opportunities or help you know, get them going even in their schools? I think a big part of that is when their child comes home, particularly for parents, when their child comes home and says, I'm thinking about auditioning for the play. Encourage that. Help them to expand their world. Take them to see live theater, live plays. Take them to an art museum. It's uh, particularly for my uh, students of color, one of the things that seems to be prevalent within the, the community is that the Performing Arts Center is where the rich people go. Okay. Hmm. And there are so many um, programs across the country in just about every Performing Arts Center that allows for discount tickets and does of some of those things and just about everyone that I that I talk to they will talk about 
the first time they ever saw a musical. I certainly mm -hmm. remember my first one. And uh, the first time they ever went to a concert or a museum exhibit that really excited them. So I think the first part of uh, getting their children interested is to actually expose them to those things. And then for our educators, there are a lot of homes where their parents don't know to do that. And so then it becomes incumbent upon our educators to also introduce those ideas. And when we talk about things that get cut first, unfortunately, among those things, um, in addition to the arts, are field trips, especially cultural field trips. Mm, yeah. And it's this desire to make sure that every minute they're preparing for a test. But I think that there is responsibility that we have to our students as schools across this country to also help to develop them into being um, well-rounded human beings. And that's not always found directly on the pages of a book. It is an experience for them. Mm -hmm. And so you touched on sort of the lack of knowing to, for parents to introduce mm -hmm. uh, theater and museums. And do you also, in addition to sort of the lack of knowing, do you also encounter skepticism from the students or the parents or both? Oh, in, um, no. in like theater involvement, arts involvement? I've, I'm in a very unique place because I teach. Northwest School of the Arts is a magnet arts program. Mm -hmm. So the students that come in um, walk in hungry for it. And so I, I don't experience some of the skepticism that I know that um, some of my colleagues that are just from across the district and across the state of North Carolina experience. So I know that it certainly is there. And there are also things come in varying degrees because sometimes if I propose a certain um, play or musical or one of my colleagues does, sometimes there's the pushback of, ooh, I don't know about that. Maybe we shouldn't do that. But every teacher that I know, theater teacher, music teacher that I know, when they pick material to be presented, to be taught, it is carefully picked. It's not just based on tradition. It is carefully picked for a reason because they hear it within the school or they hear it within the student population of this is a subject matter that we should discuss. Now, it may not always be what the parents want their kids discussing, but inevitably it is what the kids, what our students are hungry to hear about. As a guardian ad litem, mm -hmm. working with the foster kids, I did see skepticism from many mm -hmm. parents in poverty. And when I suggested that they add arts mm -hmm. to their children's daily mm -hmm. events, and they felt like, why do I need to have my children waste time on that? Oh, yes. You know, they should be studying. That's mm -hmm. the only way they're going to get ahead. Oh, yeah. And they didn't realize that arts do make mm -hmm. a whole rounded person. 
and that it has many other positive effects that have been shown to then be catalyst to the students doing better in school. Oh, Interesting. Yeah, yeah, my father yeah. was certainly that way when I was growing up, and it took it, it took a while. I mean, it doesn't get any more rural than Harmony, North Carolina for me, okay. where I grew up. But it was more my mother who kept saying, well, it's something that it keeps them out of trouble. <laughs> and <True>. they're <laughs> doing something positive and they're working in the community and they're working towards a purpose. And so quite often the skepticism that a lot of the parents that I have um, experience, it starts to slip away when they see their kids perform or when they start to hear a change in their conversation and um, a change in their demeanor. And that's a part of that transformation that is experienced because it's more than just the kids. It is, can be entire families and a generational type of shift. That's kind of a great tee up to the next thing I wanted to ask you, which is you know, referencing communities that are challenged with poverty and the, some of the underserved populations and communities. Do you think that arts education can have even a more profound impact in those communities than in others? Absolutely. And I never have described my students as being at risk, primarily because they now have something to look forward to and something to do. Mm -hmm. And I think a big part of like where the at-risk title or label comes from is for those students who don't see a purpose, who don't see a way out, and don't necessarily value what can be for them in five years or 10 years, or what does adulthood look like for them? Homeownership or professionalism with that. And so um, the very, almost the exact way for them to no longer be at risk is to introduce something that gives them purpose. I think it was really apparent in the film. There was some of the stories that were seen and heard in mm -hmm. the film. Um, homelessness and you know a sibling that was involved in crime and and then it, it really did become very clear that that was sort of that thread that drew them out of that type of existence, even if at that moment they were still living within it. Mm -hmm. But the path to college and post-graduation, as you portrayed it in the film, was really, did kind of give you that full circle picture. And it really was a true picture. Yeah. Because it happened, yeah. and yeah. we're just there to show it. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah absolutely. Where you're just watching what we saw. Mm -hmm. So yeah. it was incredible to watch that and mm -hmm. another reason we kept filming. What's interesting to know is that the highest dropout rates are in underserved areas that don't have arts programs. Mm. And there have been plenty of studies that show it, but it doesn't seem like we're listening hard enough. Because if that's the case, why aren't we putting arts programs into those underserved schools 
they're the programs and schools that need it the most. Because we have then found that arts education keeps kids in school. When we talk about at risk, my thought about at risk is at risk of dropping out. Mm -hmm. And we have to prevent kids from dropping out of school. Mm -hmm. When we bring in arts education, their reason for dropping out disappears. They now feel more relevant. What they're hearing is relevant to them, and they hear that their opinion matters. Because in standardized tests, it's right or wrong. It's black right. or white. Right, no gray. There's yeah. no gray areas. Mm -hmm. But you come into an art program, and all of a sudden you realize the gray areas are very interesting, and we have input into those gray areas. That's where the critical thinking comes in, that they're taught critical thinking, and their opinions they see really do change the end result. Mm -hmm. So why not stay in school? Yeah. <laughs> You're given a new view of the world. All of a sudden you see a wider world. And you see that you, there is a way out of poverty. Mm -hmm. Now let's stay here <laughs> and see what we can do about our lives in general. And as we did in the film, you see that kids are now starting lives without poverty and they'll be able to cut the cycle of poverty in a generation. Mm -hmm. Wow. And if that isn't the testimony for advocacy efforts mm -hmm. in that area, the real actual data, you know, drawing that correlation, so impactful. So, Corey, you've taught in a more sort of, let's say, core subject area of English previously, mm -hmm. I understand. Yeah. And how did that experience, or did that experience, correlate or tie to how you teach today? And in the theater arena, how has that kind of transferred over? You know, my high school theater teacher was also an English teacher. And so I guess the way that I teach, you, you know, everyone has to learn from someone. And so you learn by example. And so by the time Miss Miller had, even by the time I was a senior, she was no longer teaching English. She was full-time theater. Okay. And it is really kind of funny that I followed that model. The first school where I taught, even though there were two theater teachers there, they didn't do musical theater. So I got together with the uh, choir teacher and directed a production of Damn Yankees, which was mm. the first musical mm -hmm. that they had done at that school in like nine years. And so Always the two things go together because so much of what theater is, is language sure. and expression and understanding those literary concepts of like satire and irony and all of those things. And so I bring that to bear every time within my acting classes or my directing class or um, in pretty much every production that we do because it ties together. Mm -hmm. um, the beautiful thing about, um, i partial because I teach theater and I can speak to that, is that quite literally every subject that we can think of, be it philosophy or history or um, mathematics, there 
exist musicals and plays that touch on those subjects, history all the time. And so we're bringing in all of those other things that they're expected to learn in their other classes into the experience of what they have on stage. Mm -hmm. With Hamilton, of course, being a really recent and outstanding oh, yes. example of mm -hmm. history and theater and how that can oh, actually fit stars, together. Yes. Yeah. Because it is, Hamilton is such an amazing piece because it is history. Mm -hmm. It is current events when uh, you look at immigration and what mm -hmm. the immigrant, you know, how this country was founded on the concept of immigration. Pop culture, because when I mentioned to a group of freshmen how one of the songs in particular, the, the Dual Commandments, I said, that's a song by Notorious B.I.G. I'm like, what? And so, you know, I'm like, yeah, that's Biggie. And, um, and looking at um, all of those things. So it was this amazing convergence of so many things that are relevant in our culture. But Hamilton is today but you can go back and I look at, when I talk about South Pacific, where that's 1949, and it's World War II, it's the same idea. It is as America was first beginning to grapple with the ideas of civil rights and how smart Rodgers and Hammerstein were to take the situation in America and literally stick it on a remote island for Americans to stop and think about where that comes from and how that is and make the direct correlation for what's over there to be right here in our own front yards. Yeah, it's a, it is kind of amazing the way if you really look at entertainment over the years, it has really been an account of mm -hmm. history, although I don't think that we often think of it that way, mm -hmm. you know? And more and more in, in the last 10 years, because films like Selma have come out, mm -hmm. and I'm we're sure. seeing a view that's not exactly accurate. Mm -hmm. And we have had a lot of pushback in the entertainment world because of that, that there are films that are now telling a story that's been changed. Mm -hmm. And we're telling it to youth who don't know the original story. Right. <laughs> right. So do we have a responsibility in that to yeah. keep to the actual history. You were talking about Hamilton and the first thing I thought of sitting in Hamilton was, oh my gosh, the creativity here is incredible. Mm -hmm. And Lin-Emmanuel was trained. He was trained in arts education. He had various classes in the arts and he had the creativity that was honed through years of arts education to then even think that he could do that. How many people would think they can possibly right. pull that off? Right. Yeah. So that to me, that's a huge reason to have arts education. We want people like Lynn Emanuel to continue. Yeah, for sure. So in conclusion, do either or both of you have any, I guess, recommendations or guidance for school leaders or parents or community members 
that feel the importance of this and are looking for, I don't really know how to get involved or help advocate, what would your guidance be to them on that? Call me. <laughs> okay, great. I'm happy to help have help advocating for arts education. I mean, there's so many ways to look at advocacy, and certainly voting is one of them. Mm -hmm. But we have to speak to our politicians. We have to let them know how arts education is so important to us that they we see it as making the whole individual, mm -hmm. and that we're leaving out so much of a person if we don't bring them into the arts. You know, I would speak out every meeting I go into, especially in the education arena. You know, you have to step up right. and stand out and right. say, this is critical. We can't lose our creativity. I agree with that wholeheartedly. And I think that a part of that comes in, and I find it regularly as I'm directing a show or something, is creating urgency. And um, quite often, when I talk to parents and grandparents and uh, principals and things like that, they wax nostalgic about what it used to be like for them. Mm, right. And yet they don't speak with the urgency of what they want for our children today. And it's funny how every school is bad except for the school where my child goes to. Yes, <laughs> and, of course. <laughs> and, and so that's a part of it, is that when you're looking at the school where your child goes, create and advocate for that urgency of what it means to have my child singing and dancing and expressing themselves. One of the most basic aspects of that for elementary kids, if they have a dance program, it eliminates the wiggles when they're in class sure. and other things yeah. because we become very, very academic focused That's to true. the point of like of like the in the desk or in you know learning from um, you've got to the pacing guides that you have to be at this point by this day in this computer program in order to have that expectation of this level like be threes and fours I've heard that so many times on this particular test and I hear people wax nostalgic and go you know when I was a kid we actually played outside why can't you play outside again Right. Where is that urgency for those things, for our kids to collaborate and to cooperate with each other and to learn from each other? Because when we don't, the connection goes away. Phones or cell phones don't exist to connect each other. Mm -hmm. They are literally tiny little isolation boxes. The connection comes from looking around the room to speaking directly to someone and having an experience with them. Mm, very well said. I want to thank you both for joining us today. This was really, really informative and obviously inspiring. Thank you so much. Well, thanks for uh, having thank us. Thank you for having us. This podcast is produced by the Pennsylvania School Boards Association and was sponsored in part by NJM Insurance Group and Keystone Purchasing Network, 
Listeners, I encourage you to go to our website at keyedradio.org for more information on today's discussion and also to take a look at past episodes covering a wide range of other education-specific topics. This is Annette Stevenson saying thank you for listening to Keystone Education Radio. The views and opinions expressed on the Keystone Education Radio podcast are solely the views and opinions of our guests and do not reflect the views and opinions of the Pennsylvania School Boards Association. Thank you.